ho, you're listening to the Important Cinema Club, and my name's Justin DeClue. I thought that was Santa. <laughs> yes, it's Justin Santa DeClue. Listen, I killed Santa with a shotgun, oh, and now like, I am him. You're like Tim Allen. Well, yeah, I'm in Santa Claus. I'm I'm just, just plain old Will Sloan, I'm afraid. <laughs> and Unless li- you kill me. <laughs> and you're listening to the Important Cinema Club, our special annual holiday episode. Yes, and this one's a little blue, so... That, that's right, folks. We always try to pick a Christmas-themed uh, filmmaker, franchise, uh, something. something. And also, it's a great time to do probably our most requested director ever. <laughs> yes. By popular demand. People have been knocking down the doors, specifically... <laughs> specifically me. Yeah, to bring him into a holiday context. And that director is Sean Costello. I kind of feel like when we did that Godfrey Ho episode, like, the floodgates were open. It's like... It's <laughs> well, like, we could do anybody? Exactly. We well, could do anybody. at that point, we had done Radley Metzger, which I guess is the classiest if you're talking about hardcore pornography. That's the thing. We've done hardcore pornography a few times on this podcast. But they've been like the arty ones. You got your Roberta Finley's. And Roberta Finley, Radley Metzger, they had prolific mainstream careers Mm -hmm. as well. Gerard Damiano is the one porn director who was just a porn director. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Legacy of Satan does not have any pornography in it. That's a good point. But Gerard Damiano was the Bergman of porn, the Mm -hmm. highest brow of the lowbrow genre. And Radley Metzger was, what would you call him? He was the Fellini of porn. The Fellini of porn, yes. And Roberta Finley was like, uh, I don't know. She did kind of very uh, psychologically damaging movies. And she was as much a horror filmmaker Mm -hmm. as a pornographer. And this guy this week, Mr. Sean Costello, is as porny as you can get. (laughs) This is the most abject filmmaker we've ever tackled. Well, I would argue that the movies we're going to discuss today do show talent and actual care for the product that he was putting on screen, as opposed to, for example, somebody making loops, which people wouldn't care. Mm -hmm. And and, and Sean Costello got started in loops. That's right. Well, Sean Costello uh, was a Vietnam vet and a guy who worked at an advertising company, I think. And in his off hours in the early 70s, he liked to haunt the balconies of the 42nd Street porn theaters in the interviews that he's given. And he's given quite a few in recent years. He's described himself as as a sex addict. Uh, so he was somebody who, when he talks about why he was such a good porn director, it's because he claims uh, he he loved porn. He loved sex! And his films are uh, single-mindedly, well, not all single-mindedly, but many of them are single-mindedly devoted to the act. And many of them are quite vulgar and politically incorrect. So people that are listening right now are like, wait, why are we doing this as a holiday episode? Well, <laughs> that's because Sean Costello probably directed the, I don't want to say the only, because I'm sure there's other ones out there, but I guess the biggest Again, Biggest is a very bold claim. He made a porn film that takes place during Christmas. Specifically, it's an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. It's 1975's The Passions of Carol. So let's talk about The Passions of Carol first, since this is the Christmas episode. And then maybe we'll get into more about uh, Costello himself Mm -hmm. and why he's notable and worth study. So take the kids, put them to sleep. They're waiting for Santa to come. And you just listen to this alone because it is not for anybody under 18. One of the key facts about Sean Costello was almost everything he made was financed by the mafia. Mm -hmm. Specifically, the 
Decal, uh, I'm gonna have trouble pronouncing it. The Decavalcante crime family. They were from New Jersey. Fun fact: they were the inspiration for The Sopranos. But wasn't uh, the Passion of Carol funded by uh, the owner of the Capri Theater? Oh, uh, perhaps that was the case. Yeah, uh, it was Teddy. I can't pronounce his last name, right, right. but he owned one of the porn cinemas. And at this point in his career, Sean Costello was coming off of doing the One Day Wonders, and he had made. 32 feature films, each that he had shot in one day for a company called Star Distribution. And that was the Decal of... Yeah. Decava... Decava... Oh, Adam Sandler just showed up in the room for a second. (laughs) That was the New Jersey Sopranos crime family. Mm -hmm. And eventually they would form with the Gambino crime family and consolidate their film interests. But that's, that's for later. So the Capri Theater... I guess, financed this movie, The Passions of Carol. And Sean Costello's brilliant idea was, uh, at the Christmas season, the degenerates in our audience, the perverts, the lonely men, uh, they're lonely at Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's the loneliest time of year. So why don't we take the Capri Theater and decorate it like Radio City Music Hall and give the perverts somewhere to go? Yeah, make it feel like they're welcome in the Capri Theater and they can also celebrate the holiday as long as you pay $4 the entry fee. That's right. Normally you would go into the Capri Theater, I would imagine, and strenuously avoid eye contact with anyone, but here are your family for just one night. So at this point, John Costello had made uh, a number of porn films for the Capri Theater and the deal was that he wanted to make them real ones, aka they spent ten dollars to $12,000, they shot for not one day, but four, and <laughs> instead of 61 minutes, they'd be 70 minutes like real feature films. He had done a bunch of silly comedies and The Passion of Carol was his chance to do something he had never done before. Make a movie with a script. (laughs) So yeah, this was the very first one. This was uh, based on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, so at least he was starting with, you know, pretty Mm. solid source material. And he said that in his previous films, he would just give his actors a scenario and then he would just shoot it on camera that would then lead to the pornography. But here he would get all these porn actors to actually like memorize dialogue and have to recite it. And a lot of it, he took directly from A Christmas Carol uh, verbatim. So the film stars Mary Stewart as Carol Scrooge. The- uh, Mary Stewart? I seem to have the name here, Mary Holiday, <laughs> <laughs> right. which he took for this film. And I'm assuming Ma- Mary Stewart's probably not the real name, probably. <laughs> probably not. But she stars as Carol Scrooge, the miserly editor of a skin magazine in New York. Jamie Gillis, the great Jamie Gillis, the Olivier of porn, he plays uh, <laughs> Bob Hatchett, who is her much put upon, uh, I, I guess, writer or photographer for the These magazine. beefcake photos aren't going to do. You go back home and you got to make sure they look direct. But it's Christmas. No, you got to do these. Go work on these dicks. Now, Carol Scrooge is very busy during the holiday having a threesome in a mirrored, <laughs> yeah. in a mirrored room. And I got to say, this is probably, I haven't seen every single Sean Costello film before this. Mm-hmm. Or even most of them before this. <laughs> yes. Certainly not. Film, all. Certainly, strong word. Certainly haven't seen them all all the way through, folks. Because <laughs> you just fall exhausted. <laughs> after I've seen the first five minutes of yeah. them all. All right. uh, (laughs) Will's wanking it. That's what we're trying to get at. But this one actually looks kind of good. Yes, it does. You can tell that he actually really wants to make a real movie, even in the scenes that start the picture where it's them just like having conversations between each other. There's cross coverage. There's some nifty angles. One shot starts with a zoom in, zooms out. Uh It's actually pleasing to the eye and it only gets better as it goes long. That early scene in the mirrored room is an example of the kind of 
you know, attempt at visual imagination. Metzgeresque. Yeah, it is Metzgeresque, actually. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, like Lady from Shanghai. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. Later on, Carol Scrooge goes to bed and is visited by three ghosts, uh, past, uh, present, and future. The first played by the bisexual porn star Mark Stevens, who plays the Joseph Marley figure. Yeah, so the prologue to all those ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Who, um, Sean Costello said he had written a bunch of dialogue for him, and Mark was like, listen, I'm a porn performer. I cannot remember this dialogue, so just let me riff. And that's what he does. So we see, you know, a, a rather problematic, I suppose, scene of Carol as a, a child, played by adult Adults, actors, yes. of course. Uh, all of the scenes are done with against these nifty, kind of like handcrafted, stylized sets. So Sean Costello said that because this was the first film that he wanted to make as a real movie, he greatly overestimated how much time it would take. He said, all I need is $14,000. It's only $2,000 more. I'm going to shoot it on four days. I'm going to rent a studio, which they had never really done before. I'm going to build sets, do costumes. He uh, lived in a rent-controlled apartment with a bunch of other creatives that lived uh, as his neighbors. And he said he got them all to participate, building costumes, building sets. And he realized, oh man, this is much more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And supposedly it grew from four days to 14 days of shooting. Wow. And when you look at the movie, you can go, okay... I don't know, 14 days is a lot of time. Yeah. But there is a level of stylization to it that for a guy who would shoot stuff in one day that's 60 minutes long, he's trying. Well, it's stylized in a very charmingly handcrafted way, almost yeah. like a Kuchar Brothers movie or <laughs> yes, something exactly. like that, where the scenes where Carol Scrooge is being led from past, present to future are set in these sort of black voids where there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's a smoke machine going and there are some lights in the background to make it look like outer space and there are some artful green lights or, or one green lamppost like detour. <laughs> yeah. Um, one way to create the kind of hallucinogenic feel is that he often has a character stand on dollies and like glides through the scene. Yeah, Spike Lee style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where Spike Lee got it from the films <laughs> of Sean Costello. <laughs> and the acting is a mixed bag. I think yeah. it's fair to say. Carol Scrooge, Mary Stewart. Not is, very good. Not very good. Actually, another great looking scene is the Ghost of Christmas Future scene where apparently Carol Scrooge or Carol Scrooge's miserly ways will lead her to a ruinous future as a sex worker on 8th Avenue. Uh, I don't know how, but that's what we are led to believe. And we see her in her uh, shitty little apartment servicing a John and uh, Costello shoots it with this kind of like blinking light. Uh, yeah. And, with and cool he actually costumes. says that the light as it like went from actor to actor in this like darkened room is he told the actors to only say the dialogue when the light would hit them and then when it would go back to the next character until the light hits them. You don't say your dialogue. And that's like a level of stylization that these kind of movies need to actually make them watchable in some form. And that scene as well starts with like shots of 42nd street mm -hmm. and they're actually in front of the Capri theater as like, she's pretending to be a prostitute, but this whole sequence is very miserable. And John Costello has said that one of the reasons he thinks the film failed was because it wasn't sexy. Like this scene yeah. is supposed to show how miserable she is, but it's also supposed to be the climax of a porn film, yeah. but it just feels like a chore to sit through. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it isn't very sexy. This is one of the, Sean Costello movies that I would actually recommend that you could maybe watch for like it's fun I thought to you were going to say with your family well why, no. why not though yeah uh, <laughs> but it, you can actually watch it for reasons other than just the prurient interest it's mm -hmm. fun and it has a lovingly handcrafted charm to it Another reason why it flopped was because it wasn't actually released at Christmas. <laughs> no, it was supposed to come out on December 10th, which makes sense, would give enough time to like build up the buzz and, you know, get people there in the Christmas season. But it came out in March. Because Costello mis 
missed his deadline. And he was so proud of the film that he actually made sure that it was booked in some mainstream theaters. It played at the Quad Theater. <laughs> That's right. And it was reviewed in Variety, I think. They gave it a pretty positive review. As well, they should have. But <laughs> unfortunately, you know, a Christmas porn movie is a hard sell at any time of the year, but especially in March. They didn't do charts hell. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. There you go. You know, we didn't even mention that Jamie Gillis, very good in this movie. Yeah, well, he plays the soft, tender role. Which he never does. <laughs> right. Which, and in Costello's commentary track on the excellent Distrib Picks uh, DVD edition. Very good. If you're interested in this film, pick up the Distrib Picks release. Uh, Costello explains that he, he wanted, sort of as a novelty, to sh- explore the tender side of Jamie Gillis. Mm-hmm. We'll get to the darker side of Jamie Gillis in a minute. But a little <laughs> more about Sean Costello's humble beginnings in the sex movie industry. After emerging from the balcony, like so many porn performers, Sean Costello answered an ad at the back of, I think, the East Village Other for nude modeling, found himself in a basement somewhere where he started filming loops. Like all those guys, it yeah. was, hey, I got I got 30 bucks to do this? Whoa. He said that he um, told the loop guy, listen, I can just come in and why don't we tell stories through just like photographs and we can implement those in the loop so you have my photos that gives things a bit of a narrative backbone. Mm-hmm. And from then it just evolved into like, oh, why don't I just start making movies? He was something of a movie buff by, by his own telling. His first movie, which was shot in 1971 and released in 1973, is one of the most notorious porn films of the era. It's called Forced Entry, and I'm sorry, folks, there's no pleasant way to talk about Forced Entry. No, it's a film that hinges on sexual assault as the, like, purient um, selling point. Yeah, it's it's a kind of half-horror, half-porn film. It has some of the most upsetting sexual assault scenes ever filmed in any movie. What do you think of Sean Costello saying it was one of the first films to deal with the shell-shocked Um, reality of Vietnam war veterans coming back. Well, so that is kind of an interesting thing about it. it. Again, it was shot in 1971, and Harry Reams, a year before Deep Throat, plays this Travis Bickle like character. Mm-hmm. And in fact, several years before uh, Taxi Driver, he plays this Travis Bickle like gas station attendant who, every time he, he sees certain women, it cuts to, you know, horrific atrocity footage of the Vietnam War, which I guess is the socially redeeming quality of the movie, Mm -hmm. because porn films at this time had to prove that they had socially redeeming value. So this movie opens, forced entry opens with some very pretentious statements about the plight of the veterans returning from Vietnam. I mean, it probably was one of the first movies to deal directly with Vietnam, which is not, that's not me praising the movie or anything, just stating a fact. And I mean, Sean Costa himself being a Vietnam War veteran obviously put himself in this movie and that's just a fact. I'll tell you something about Forced Entry, which I actually did revisit this week uh, because I'm on vacation and I have time, I have time to do things like <laughs> you that. You lock the doors, you close the drapes, and you put Forced Entry on because <laughs> you didn't want anybody knowing. So it's an indefensible movie, but Something that I find interesting about it, and in the same way that I find, say, the writing of the Marquis de Sade interesting, or Peter Sotos, or somebody like that, is it invites us to enter a world where everything that we consider to be evil is pleasurable. Mm -hmm. And in doing this, we're reminded that the morality that we use to structure our society is not actually objective. It's something that we choose to subscribe to. And uh, in fact, many people like people like the protagonist of this film don't subscribe to it. And I think that's a very scary thought. It's a terrifying thought to think that morality is is not objective. And it's interesting for me, at least, to sometimes sit and wallow in that thought for a little while. You love it! 
Uh, I'm I'm interested in it. Fascinated by it. Fascinated by it. I've seen your library. All those first editions of Marquis de Sade. First editions? (laughs) Yeah. You're a millionaire. We're admitting it here on the podcast for the first time. Uh, I'm not a millionaire, folks. (laughs) Far from it. But you understand why this would be the kind of angle that Sean Costello, he wants to make something that will make an impact, that'll be delivering in a way that nothing else is. Yeah, it's like... It's his first film and he wants attention. He wants to yeah. sell it. I mean, like, Ruffies were a genre around this time, but it's like, how do you push that to the furthest extreme? Well, you have Fourth Century with funny man Harry Reams himself. Giving a very uh, committed performance. Also, uh, Laura Cannon is in it, who Sleaze fans may know as being the star of Fleshpot on 42nd Street. The Ooh, Andy the Milligan Andy Milligan film, film. Where she has a much more tender sex scene with Harry Reams. <laughs> in an Andy Milligan film? That's right. <laughs> Available now from Vinegar Syndrome. Great film. Great film. <laughs> And so we were talking about, you know, kind of catering to a very specific audience, which brings us to Sean Costello's most famous film, pretty much. Probably. it's It has semi-legendary status. I mean, Passion of Carol is not a famous porn film. Like, I don't think it has its massive fans. Sean Costello likes it, and it got, like... I like it. I like it. <laughs> and it got respect on DVD. It doesn't have a huge cult. But it doesn't have a cult like Water Power does. Yeah. What is Water Power, Will? Well, uh, the story behind Water Power is kind of funny. So, uh, hilarious, you mean? So he, again, he was working for this company, Star Distributors, from the Dick. Cavalacante crime family and then he was working with this guy in the crime family named Sidney, Sid Levine. Mm-hmm. And one day Sid Levine comes to him and says... Look, I'm a grandfather. I'm ashamed to have to ask you this, but they need an Enema movie. So at this time, there was someone called the Enema Bandit that was sexually assaulting people and giving them enemas on a college campus, I believe, right? Uh, I, I don't know a lot about no, it. No, me it's neither. So, it's something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, and I think that it was making like newspaper headlines. So Star Distributors decided, listen, if it, everybody's this interested... We should make a movie based on the subject. Mm. So they got Sean Costello up into their offices and they're like, listen, make an enema movie. We don't want to see it. We don't want to read the script. We essentially want nothing to do with it other than the fact that we're giving you the money to make it and we will be distributing it. (laughs) And that's what Costello did. Mm. And this one, in fact, came out after Taxi Driver. And so, you know, uh, Scorsese and Schrader you know, paid beautiful tribute to forced entry <laughs> with their masterpiece. And now Costello gets to return the favor. <laughs> yes. And, you know, when you hear this premise, you think it's like a uh, forced entry. It's not. It's like yeah. very over the top. I mean, it and has, wacky. Yeah, it, it has scenes of sexual assault. And, and those scenes are very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the other scenes are very tongue in cheek. So Jamie Gillis stars as Bert, a Times Square dweller, uh, a lonely guy, you know, a guy whose apartment looks very much like Philip Seymour Hoffman's in happiness. <laughs> and uh, he uh, one day goes to a brothel where he has desultory sex with Sharon Mitchell. Things just aren't doing it for him anymore. But he hears, wait, there's there's some sort of procedure happening in the other room. Well, there's a very comedic sequence where he talks to a receptionist and she gives him a long list of things that are available that are just go on and on about every fetish. And then it's not enema. It's like a different term for it. I don't remember what it is. Yeah, but yeah. he's like, wait, wait, what's that? And then she's like, oh, come with me, where there is a mock kind of operation going on as a doctor performs it on an not unsuspecting in this case, but just like a woman who's pretending that it's unsuspecting. The woman, by the way, played by Long Jean Silver. 
Oh, the one-legged porn star. And this was her first film. We do not see, she has, uh, you know, I guess a, a, a large, a stump and her large sock on in this. So we don't see that she's one-legged. Hmm. But this was her debut film. I can't believe I knew that off the top of my head. Look what <laughs> you made me, Will. <laughs> so Jamie Gillis, as Bert, sees this extraordinary enema procedure and he... Instantly aroused. And, it's and, probably a help that the nurse is... <laughs> giving him fellatio as this is going on and folks this is problematic stuff this is you know uh, consider this your content warning <laughs> now <laughs> 20 minutes in <laughs> uh, uh bert believes that it is his job to purify the women of uh of of america i guess by giving them enemas and so one of the things he does is look through his window through a telescope he sees women who he thinks are uh, beautiful innocents and he sees them having consensual sex and he's like oh i can't believe you're doing that disgusting very rear window-ish <laughs> right so he goes over and uh, purify them he does in some very unpleasant scenes of mm-hmm. sexual assault um, I don't know how how you feel about this. I, uh, I think that a movie like bad. You, <laughs> that's how ba- I feel. Yeah, bad. <laughs> you know, I feel a movie like this. Um, look, it, it's porn. Yes, uh, and and it, it's catering to a particular group of people who this is their particular turn on, and they exist out there. They exist out there, and I, you know, I I tend to be a, a bit libertarian about things like this. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, as long as it's fantasy, yes, and know, that it's not being um done on screen it's not snuff in any way then yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no problem with and that all, if everybody and, is yeah. consenting who is on screen that is doing this yeah i mean you know we should uh, i don't want to get too deep into it but like a lot of the like pornography in the 70s was often known as like a very degenerate thing right mm. that the people were being forced into it well and linda, that it was lovelace ter- linda lovelace example. Yeah. but like Sean costello would talk about that like he would cast his friends in these movies that people that he knew mm. to participate in these kind of you know pornographic scenarios i was listening to his audio commentary on the vinegar syndrome release of afternoon delights and there's a quote he was talking about a particular performer in the movie that he didn't like that much and he said and i'm quoting she was very self-centered very self-involved i prided myself in providing very happy sets for actors i hired actors who i thought would like each other work well together sexually enjoy each other's company i know it may sound strange i really did think about that that's why i never had erection problems on my sets because i really thought through who's going to have sex with who and how this is going to work i think i was one of the few people who really did that and he even said that he had issues with like creating long-term relationships with the people on set that were he was supposed to work in a professional situation right well and you see in his movies he uses just the same actors over mm-hmm. and over and over jamie again. gillis harry reem cj lang yeah a couple of others yeah um, and you know water power uh compared to passion of carol it's barely a movie it just kind of spins its wheels until the credit rolled at the end and the version that's available now there's a funny story of how it came to be because i believe his original cut was something like 60 something minutes right well according to a long story that he wrote on his blog Mm -hmm. which which he currently maintains the movie was released at 70 minutes did no business and then in the interim the dick calva of the soprano family uh, merged their film assets with the Columbo family and they decide you know what we're going to re-release this and we're going to credit Gerard Damiano as the director <laughs> yeah maybe if Gerard Damiano's on it who is famous for Deep Throat more people will come and see this enema movie and did uh, Gerard Damiano have a choice in the matter nope not at all <laughs> no. and what they did was because I think it was 60 minutes is they had to pad it out to hit that 70 minute mark so it would be feature length and the way that they did that is they just put outtakes in the movie right that um, Chagasello had no intention for anybody seeing I 
mean, this exists in many different versions, mm-hmm. censored in various ways. Uh, the the cut that I saw was something like probably eighty one minutes, yeah. and it combines a pristine looking thirty five millimeter print with a, 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 a shoddy yeah. video. DVD. I think it's like a French DVD source and mm. like a Greek subtitled VHS somewhere. And I gotta say, the Greek subtitled VHS uh, is a little bit better because something <laughs> like this really ought to look like you found it in a dumpster. <laughs> you know? I had actually never seen Water Power. Really? Because, uh, you know, as, as far, why would you watch it? Well, I mean, it, other out of like morbid curiosity. I mean, so the idea of a Sean Costello movie that's a riff on Taxi Driver mm-hmm. with a lot of footage of Jamie Gillis on 42nd Street, like getting his photo taken, I just mean, walking around. I mean, that is right up my alley. But then when you add enemas to it, I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> but then, you know, seeing them <laughs> in um, graphic detail on screen, probably for the first time in my life, I'm like, eh, it's not that bad. Uh, there, there was one that. Made made me gag (laughs) (laughs) maybe my faith was turned away at that point so sean costello as a filmmaker what is his value in your eyes when you talk about him like overall why should his name come up when we're talking about the one day wonders that he made which i think comprised the bulk of his filmography at least half of his filmography um I mean, they're movies that were made without scripts, and they had this rotating cast of New York porn regulars. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, the New York porn regulars looked a little more real Mm -hmm. than the L.A., San Francisco equivalents. And they were shot, you know, in the dirty streets and shitty apartments of 1970s New York. And in addition to that, very few of the movies have been that well-preserved. So they have this, you know, rotting... Dinginess to them. ...quality to them. And... I would say Costello's focus on the um, nuts and bolts of sexual intercourse combined with the sort of uh, haphazard, artless style of the production, as well as, you know, maybe the conditions that he created on the set, make the movies abject or real or raw in a way that I find um, um, interesting. Interesting. Well, I think another... And and even arousing sometimes. And I think that one of the other reasons to talk about this stuff, and we've talked about this previously in other um, hardcore episodes, is that I think it's important to contextualize this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. to know where it came from, because for a lot of people, it's just like a mysterious kind of blank. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, there's 70 pornography. It was all trash. Who cares who made it? It doesn't really matter. But when you talk about these specific figures and you can kind of give it a history, I think it actually gains more value, whether the movies are good or not. Well, these One Day Wonders are sort of interesting because there were a couple of tiers of pornography in the 70s. Again, as you said, most people think of it as this one big Mm -hmm. thing, but you had loops, and you had One Day Wonders, and then there were features, and then there were like Radley Metzger features. Yeah. And those were the tiers. Wait, Radley Metzger? Don't you mean... Henry uh, Paris. Henry Paris? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, this isn't really a thought that I'm taking anywhere but i'm just gonna throw it out there i think it's it's difficult i'm I'm interested in the challenge of creating a sort of critical language for pornography for for pornography because i I mean to talk about pornography is to talk about like is it is it arousing to you does Mm -hmm. it fulfill its necessary function it's particularly with sean costello's movies which a lot of them that's actually all what that's all all it is yeah so what sort of aesthetic criteria do you bring into this i'm getting so pretentious here but But i think that that's why we're talking about fourth century and water power and passions of carol right because there's actual filmic stuff there's actually filmic stuff to talk about yeah i I think that's one reason why i wrote down that quote that i read Mm -hmm. earlier because 
you know, it's a way to talk about um, what sort of art goes into sex on yeah. screen. You know, what are the conditions that a director brings to to make a set conducive to sex? I agree with you. And so, I'm glad yeah. uh, the people who listen to this episode, thank you for listening to this. Well, I'm a hero. What yeah, can I say? Right. Taking the bullets and giving people this Christmas gift. I also just wanted to, like, you know, work through uh, my Sean Costello. Yeah, occupation. give you a reason to watch Water Power. <laughs> uh, but before we get off Sean Costello, we'll just give, give a little context to the end of his career. Mm-hmm. He did end up graduating into higher budget pornography. He worked with a producer named Ruben Sturman, who had a company called Leisure Time Booking. They called themselves, the, or they were called the Walt Disney of porn. <laughs> uh, and he started making two films a year. There was one that I watched this week called Beauty. Yes. Which was sort of a Beauty and the Beast riff. You said, uh, you... You told me to watch the first 10 minutes, and I did. Very slick. Yeah. Radley Metzgeretz, I would even say. Yeah, it, it's quite nice. I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching the whole thing. No, but, but those first 10 minutes when he's actually trying to create a mood and mm-hmm. feel, I would even say that it's one level above what he was doing in Passion of Carol. Yeah. And you got that nice stolen Citizen Kane music over it. <laughs> Almost all of his movies have music stolen from <laughs> other movies. Other movies. Yeah. Particularly, particularly Tubular Bells. Yes. He loves Tubular Bells. Yeah. It's all over Passion of Carol. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that companies will put these things out. Because, yeah. uh, well, they assume that it's going to go out, it's going to play in theaters a bunch, and then just disappear. Uh, Costello's porn career ended in the early to mid-80s. He has resurfaced occasionally. He made a short film that's on YouTube called uh, Writing for Time. A documentary. About Time Magazine. Yes. Which made with the full participation of Time Magazine. He made a documentary about the Gulf War. Uh, 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 yeah. But he hasn't really been keeping busy that much, because I think that his name is too associated with pornography even though like a lot of porn directors he took pseudonyms like Passive Carol directed by Amanda Barton <laughs> yeah well most of his movies have pseudonyms there was Warren Evans Ross mm-hmm. Carlson yeah he did resurface online about uh, 10 years ago maybe because he started to realize that th- there was a small contingent of Sean Costello fans out there and he's put out a, a book an ebook about Harry Reams mm-hmm. he's, he's an active presence out there now there's been the promise of an autobiography that he He's written that I'm just like so excited to read. Sean Costello, if you're listening to this, and I I would not be surprised if you are, please, please send, send me, it to us. Send me your autobiography. Just reading his blog post or even like the booklet that comes with the with the distrib picks, uh, Passion of Carol, just excites me to read like a whole career life. He's length. a good rack on tour. Yeah, he's a very good rack on tour. So um, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hardcore holidays. So, as per usual, you can send us letters at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. And this week on our Patreon, what are we talking about, Will? Uh, the movie that I keep being told is the best Christmas movie ever made. Uh, and did you know it's a Christmas movie? Wait, no. Passions of Carol? <laughs> <laughs> we should make that the new the new <laughs> Christmas movie yeah. that we recommend. Is it a Christmas movie? Is it not? Who knows? Well, I was talking about Die Hard. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Die Hard on a Patreon. I mean, we're both Bruce Willis fans in specifically Die Hard. I, I and like Bruno face. I like Bruce Willis. I like having him around. <laughs> and you like old Bruce Willis, right? You never miss a movie. I, I have seen a number of his late period <laughs> movies. His, uh, I like to call them the sitting in a chair in one room <laughs> movies. <laughs> I've not seen much of his DTV output, but when he has a movie in theaters, yes. I, I am Wait, often didn't he have tempted. one recently? He had uh, Glass and he had Death Wish. Yeah, he also starred in Edward Norton's film, Motherless Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he showed up for that one. Yeah. All right. So we're talking about Die Hard. Check it out. $5 a month. Patreon.com slash The Important Cinema Club. Give yourself a gift that will bring joy into your life. 
So we're taking a week off. Yeah, it's Christmas, uh, it's folks. Christmas. And we're not even going to say what we're going to come back with. I don't know how the dates line up, but it's either going to be the best of the year or maybe not. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. So until then, my name is Justin McLuhan. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Just a special announcement. Anyone who is a $10 subscriber to the Patreon by the time January 1st comes along in your next newsletter mail out, you will receive an important Cinema Club membership card. We've been doing this for a few years now. There's club in the name. I don't know why we haven't done membership cards yet, but finally, for the $10 subscribers, we're mailing it out. If you would like one, there's still time. Become a $10 newsletter Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash theimportantcinemaclub. But remember, you have to do it by January 1st to be eligible. After that, Who knows when we'll give membership cards out again. And so I'd like to give a heartfelt holiday thank you to Jean Rabin, Hunter Sawyer, Jacob Durasco, A Kind of Garbage, Jim Campbell, and James Deegan. Thank you so much for becoming Patreon subscribers. It means the world to us. And as per usual, we would really appreciate it if you went on Apple Podcast or Stitcher or whatever podcast app that you use and you give us a rating and a review. It makes all the difference and allows other people to discover the show. So thank you very much, and we now return you to your regular scheduled programming. Will, what are you excited for this holiday season during the break where you don't have to go to work? You can just check out and go to the movies. And this is when all the big releases, the big Oscar contenders come out, right? Oh, God, what do I want to see? Um, uh, Crickets. (laughs) uh, Well, I guess I'll check out A Hidden Life. Is that coming uh, out? That's coming out. That feels like there's almost no buzz behind it. Like, it was, when it was playing film festivals, people were like, ooh, the new Terrence Malick. And now it's like, eh. It doesn't seem to be in the Oscar conversation. Not at all. Yeah. And uh, I'm very surprised about that. Yeah. yeah I feel good. I skipped it a tip. Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, seems like homework. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. Wasn't there a movie recently that I saw that I was shocked? Oh, I don't remember. Some Oscar film, I'm sure, that I had skipped. I'm hoping to make some time for the 20th century, um, which is the one that- Oh, was- you haven't seen? Yet? the canadian film oh, that's great. i know that's not the answer you were looking no, for no i'm not because you're you're wondering like what big movies am i excited yeah because you're a big fan of middle brow stuff you're always complaining that the stuff isn't handed to you anymore and you know christmas season is usually when all those oscar films comes out yeah and it's like stuff that like big awards contender because they get it at the end of the year because oscar voters have very little uh short memories so they want it as close to the end as possible that seems to have changed a lot because the oscars have keep moving up mm-hmm. they're going to be two weeks earlier this year oh are they i didn't even know that that's right and of course they used to be in march it used to be like i remember uh was it million dollar baby that opened at the very end of december mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden like it, like nobody had talked about it and then all of a sudden it became the oscar front runner did that win best picture it did win best picture. <laughs> wow i don't even remember that there you go i remember at the dvd store there's like a giant edition of like million dollar baby with like a little book and stuff like that i'm like <laughs> who is that, that for that's an heirloom yeah. <laughs> yeah because you're supposed to give it to your grandparent who you don't know what else they like you're right. like it's a benjamin button style heirloom you <laughs> yeah. pass it to the person older and then they pass it to someone That's a older. classic, like, you go to someone's house and it's like an unopened thing, like, on their shelf. It's like a copy of Million Dollar Baby, which comes like a commemorative shot glass or something like that. This is off topic, but I remember when Schindler's List came out on oh, DVD. yes, and so many unopened copies on everybody's shelf. But it, when it came out on DVD in the early 2000s, it came in this giant, giant 
set that came with a certificate of authenticity. No. And it's like, listen, I, I trust you. I believe <laughs> I believe this is a real Schindler's List. I remember DVD. looking at a, um, a relative shelf and seeing like the VHS of Schindler's List unopened. Because <laughs> it's like, I guess this is something I should own. Yeah, who's who's rewatching? <laughs> I don't know. Once every two decades, maybe. 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 Yeah. Well, that's not where I saw Schindler's List. Probably when someone probably forced when me to in, watch it in school. Probably when I was in high school. Is when yeah. I saw it. And nothing against it. Good movie. No, but. but really, getting back to the topic, is that I'm I was shocked looking at the films coming out this December season that there was no big like contender. It's like this is when you would think the Mr. Rogers film would come out. Yeah. Nope. Came out months ago. That feels like a movie people would want to see at Christmas, right? Yes. Get the family together. But you know what the problem is? The Rise of Skywalker? Yes, because the Star Wars movies now come out in December. and Well, uh, not anymore after this well, one. Well, yeah, maybe, but... But they've been coming out, and every studio like gets as far away as they can, except for one movie that is the designated counter program. Cats. Cats this year. In Are you excited years, for Cats? Um, I mean, it hits all your favorite <laughs> buttons. Pretty much all CGI, directed by your favorite director, <laughs> based on a musical. You cannot stop humming every time I see you. I'm almost rooting for Cats, just because like Ugh. it's people. It, it's it's been so much made fun of, but. There's people just, love making fun of it, though. But, you know, there is just the immovable fact that it looks awful. The thing and about, Tom Hooper is a fucking hack. <laughs> the thing about Cats is, like, I cannot hum you one song from it. Yeah. And I love musicals. Yeah. Like, I love them. Yeah. And Cats is one that, again, as a kid, I feel like I went to relatives' houses and they had posters of Cats on the wall. I was always under the impression that Cats was kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah, but everybody saw it. I know it was. People loved it. I know it won it was, the Tony Award for Best Musical the year it came out. I know it was a huge hit, but I always thought everybody was just kind of on the same page. So, like, oh, yeah, that was kind of tacky. It's so bad, so good. Yeah, it's like, so good. Like, even, like, Phantom of the Opera, you know, a lot of a lot of people like, mm-hmm. but tack, but uh, cats. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't know about cats. Will I'm I excited see... to see fucking James Corden's face CGI <laughs> onto the Danny DeVito penguin. S- are you gonna see it in theaters? <laughs> no, I don't think. You know what? There are still so many things to do that aren't seeing cats. Yeah, but I mean, there's not that many movies. Rise of Skywalker, which you will see out of. <laughs> You know, part of the... To be part of the conversation? No, no, no. It's because you're legally obliged to because the courts decided for your threats that you oh, had yeah, to go see Rise It was part of my parole for killing Baby Yoda, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, volunteer yeah. Uh, hours and stuff like that. And other than that, and I guess it tears my mouth, but that's it. It just yeah. rises Skywalker as far as the eye can see. Well, I guess I'll go see that then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Maybe more, once, maybe twice. Yeah. Go with friends and you're like, listen, I don't want to go see Cats. <laughs> Unless, you know, if people are saying it's like such a massive Bond dog, that it's like like almost hilariously bad i think that my curiosity will t- get the better of me hmm. i mean are actually, you actually thinking of not seeing it no i don't think i was gonna i had no plans on seeing it right. yeah okay. i'm sorry because i'm a tom hooper uh completist. Oh, oh sorry i thought we were still talking about skywalker no 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 <laughs> skywalker i will definitely see <laughs> you know i wasn't gonna see solo until yeah. my friends were like, come on, we're seeing it opening night. And I saw it and I was like, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I've not seen or thought of it since. Mm-hmm. Rise of Skywalker. I'm a JJ fan. I like how he moves his camera. Uh, is he well, a storyteller? A good storyteller? No, he is not. Well, it sounds like you better keep your expectations in check <laughs> for this one. <laughs> and we've talked about on Patreon episodes that I love The Last Jedi. I like The Last Jedi. I and it's that, fun. the fact that people... Um, <laughs> 
Last Jedi is honestly the only one since, you know, 1983. <laughs> yes. And even that one I don't like that much. <laughs> yeah. So Fucking Ewoks? Yeah. Die, is what Will Sloan says. Yeah. <laughs> you were on the message boards, the BBS at the time, <laughs> writing that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, it just makes me wonder, is that like, are the big pushes for award films, is it over? Because now it's like kind of gone to the wind. I mean, Little Women is coming out. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, as well. but even that one seems to be under the radar. Yeah, because I don't think it got a lot of Golden Globe nominations. And I, and <laughs> yeah, they're the real. Um, well, yeah, um, sadly, they are. <laughs> Cats did not even get nominated for Best Musical or Comedy. Well, that might be because apparently Tom Hooper just finished making it. But he's, he, he showed it to them. Okay, he showed, a, I guess, a rough cut. Yeah, I was that allowed. That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, like Little Women is, like you said, doesn't feel like a contender in that sense. Yeah. Lady Bird was nominated for Best Director. I think it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I think I think things are just changing. The Oscars are happening, you know, early enough now. Mm-hmm. The movies, uh, the, the critic awards are happening early enough. The, the momentum is on the side of movies that come out earlier. Fuck, I feel like fucking Lights, Camera, Jackson talking <laughs> about the Oscars. It's disgraceful. But the thing is... You love the Oscars more, not love, but have like a passionate addiction to more than anybody that I know. Yeah, that's that's really sobering, isn't it? To think of that. I mean, it's probably true. Well, let me look over the last few years and what kind of tweets you made around this time. Oh, wait, somebody has Oscar fever and it's <laughs> Will Sloan. Look, the evidence is right there. 